Welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. series, continuing on in our series in the book of Colossians, and we are up to which chapter? Test. Chapter 4, which means next week is? There is no chapter (laughs) 5. He knew that, I'm sure. Where is it in my Bible? Is it in the Old Testament? Whereabouts is it? Someone say all the names of the Bible quickly. All 66. We're up to chapter 4. I'm going to read the whole of chapter 4 with us this morning to uh, just kind of bathe ourselves in God's Word, just allow His Word to to be spoken and to be received. And um, then I'm going to take some parts of this passage, this chapter in chapter 4, and we are going to expand upon them. Okay, so chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Masters, be just and fair to your slaves. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us too that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I am here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Tychicus will give you the report, a full report about how I am getting along. He is a beloved brother and faithful helper who serves me in the Lord's work. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how I am doing and to encourage you. I'm also sending Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, one of your own people. He and Tychicus will tell you everything that has been happening here. Aristarchus, who's not necessarily related to Tychicus, (laughs) Aristarchus, who is in prison with me, sends his greetings as well. So does Mark, Barnabas' cousin. As you were instructed before, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. Jesus, the one we call Justice, also sends his greetings. These are the only Jewish believers among my co-workers. They are working with me here for the kingdom of God. And what a comfort they have been. Epaphras, a member of your own fellowship and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends his greetings. He always prays earnestly for you, asking God to make you strong and perfect, fully confident that you are following the whole will of God. I can assure you that he prays hard for you and also the believers in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved doctor, sends his greetings and so Demas. Please give my greetings to our brothers and sisters at Laodicea and Nympha and the church that meets in her house. After you have read this letter, pass it on to the church at Laodicea so you can read it, so they can read it too. And you should read the letter I wrote to them. And say to Archippus, be sure to carry out the ministry the Lord gave you. Here is my greeting in my own handwriting, Paul. Remember my chains. May God's grace be with you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that as we open this book today, 
Um, we, we don't just read empty words on a page. We, we, we want to engage with what you have said, with your word. Would you make this alive to us today? Would you bring it to, to a place of revelation where it will change our lives? We thank you that by your spirit and your word, you are wanting to transform us today. And so we come with hearts that are open, wanting to abandon our old lives and live in full surrender to you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I've got to start this morning, and it's a pretty, bit of a heavy way to start a sermon. I know I don't usually do this, but uh, I just have to do this this morning. And um, that is to start by exposing sin. Why are you laughing? I can't keep a straight face. I want to just expose one of the, the most prevalent sins in the church at this point in time. And um, just know that this is a place of hope. And this is a place of no condemnation. But um, it came to my attention last week. And please don't point fingers at anyone else. This is, you know, for our own hearts. It came to my attention this week that many of us in this room have been lying. Many of us have gone to update software or buy products and tick the checkbox that we have read the terms and conditions. And I've caught you out. This is something that many of us in this room have potentially done. We've installed a new software, or we've purchased something new, or we've signed up for something, and there is this box with about 40 million words that comes down that says, Read all of these terms and conditions. Now, I know, people, that not everybody in this room reads every word in those terms and conditions. And then you check a little box that says, have you read? And do you agree to the terms and conditions? And what do we do? We tick the box. I was just thinking about it this week, and I was thinking, I wonder what they could actually put in those terms and conditions that we are agreeing to without even reading or knowing what we're agreeing to, but then saying that I've read and I agree to the terms and conditions. In fact, there was a um, gaming company that actually did a little experiment, and they put some stuff in their terms and conditions on April the 1st, on April Fool's Day. Can we show that terms and conditions that they put in there? It said this, by placing an order via this website on the first day of the fourth month of the year 2010, Ono Domini, you agree to grant us a non-transferable option to claim for now and forevermore your immortal soul. Should we wish to exercise this option, you agree to surrender your immortal soul and any claim you may have on it within five, five working days of receiving written notification from gamestation.com.uk or one of its duly authorized minions. As a result of this, 7,500 people now owe their souls to GameStation because they didn't read the terms and conditions. Now, the reason I guess many of us don't read the terms and conditions is because we think, well, that's a bit boring. That's a little bit, I don't need to know all of that sort of stuff, and so we just kind of skip and skim down it. I saw that iTunes, their terms and conditions, have at least 27,000 words in them. That's about a 100-page book. That's a lot of terms and conditions. 
But we just kind of skim read and, and think, oh, okay, I'll, I'll just get to the bottom and then press it. I've seen this also with our approach to reading the Scriptures. Where we kind of get, may get to a point where we read what we think is relevant or interesting... But then when it comes to something like a list of numbers or names, like Atticus and Demas and Onesimus, we tend to just kind of skip through and skim read and get to the the, the good parts, you know, the good things that we think are good and relevant for us. But I want to discourage us from that from skim reading anything in the scriptures because we need to know that God ordained his word for us to read and there is not one thing that is out of place in the word of God every measurement every name every geographical location every single thing that is put in the word of God is put in the word of God for a purpose and for a reason And if we just skim read, we may miss it. Now, we read quite a few names there, and those names weren't necessarily the easiest names to pronounce. But this is an area where perhaps we could do this, where we skip over a few of those names, not realizing that every single one of those names was an actual person who had an actual relationship with Jesus, who was actually at this point in time a co-worker with the Apostle Paul. Some of them were in prison. Some of them were being sent back to the Colossians. Uh, But every single one of these people actually had a a past, a present, and they would have a future. And we can skim read it and miss some of the significance of what is actually taking place in this. So as we read through Colossians chapter 4 today, I want to take a few different uh, parts of this this chapter. Obviously can't go through the whole thing. And... um, Maybe pull out a few things that are connected to this letter in the Colossians that hopefully can help to encourage us. But let's start off in verse 2. It says, Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart and pray for us too that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. This is why I am in chains. Pray that I will proclaim the message as clearly as I should. Well, we've said this for the last few weeks that the Apostle Paul and Timothy is with him and a few other people we see uh, currently now imprisoned for the preaching of the gospel, for doing what God has called them to do. And um, here we see that Paul speaking to the Colossian church as he's written this letter to them. He has said how they have prayed for the Colossians, how they have prayed for different things for this group of people. And now he requests some prayer. And his prayer request is not typical of what we may ask for a prayer request in the Western world. His prayer request being imprisoned is not to say, um, God, can can you pray for us that God will bust us out of this prison so that we can get back to the work of preaching the gospel. In fact, he says, pray for us while we are here that we have the boldness and the courage to preach the gospel as we should right now. 
His desire was not, hey, get us out of here so that we can get back to work. His desire was, can you pray for us so that we have everything we need right where we are to do the work that we are called to do? And I read that and I think, what, in prison? Wouldn't you want to get out first so that you can get back to work? But you can see that Paul's framework for life is that wherever I am, I am in ministry. Whatever situation, whatever circumstance, whatever place I am in, that is my place of ministry. So here is the first thing I want to draw out of this. One person's prison is another person's platform. One person's prison is another person's platform. Paul has been arrested. He's been put in, 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 uh, in jail. And then he prays, let me turn this place into my platform for preaching the gospel. It's not, woe is me, we're being mistreated, we've been, you know, God has led us to, to get hurt and, and be in trouble. He, he says, I want the opportunity and I want you to pray for opportunities for this. If you want to ask how, how you can pray for me, then pray that I will clearly communicate the gospel right where I am. Now this is in prison, think about it, it's a captive audience. That was a pun too. You're going to miss my jokes. I know you will. It's a captive audience. So he has people that are in the prison that he is preaching to about why he is in the prison. He doesn't switch on and off. Okay, Sunday morning, I'm on. I'm on, I'm on, I'm on, the, I'm on the go now. I'm in ministry now on Sunday morning. Or when I go to work, then I'm on. It's like wherever I am, this is my space to minister the good news of Jesus. And so pray for me that I have opportunity to do that. Pray for me that every single person in this prison, by the time I'm, I'm, I've left, has heard the gospel. And when they ask why I'm here, I'm pointing to Jesus. Now one person can be in the same situation and see it as an opportunity to preach the good news, whereas another person can have the same situation and think, well, I, I can't do anything. Right, this is me. I'm done. I, I, I'm out. I'm sidelined. Now, how can I do anything in this, in this cell where I am? And maybe not, we're not going to end up in, in a physical prison. But you know what I mean. Those seasons in life where it feels like you've been restricted or limited. To say, well, now I'm, I can't do anything now. I can't serve the Lord. I can't minister the gospel. I, I can't preach. One person may feel restricted and limited while the other person sees that that is the exact place that I need to be right now so that I can reach people in this space, so that I can bring the good news to them. And that's how I want you to pray. He says to them, pray that we have opportunities right where we are to, to sow the seed of God's word, to preach the gospel. And I read it and I think, well, I've got no excuse. There isn't a place, a relationship, a community setting, a sphere of my influence that I'm not actually called to witness to the good news of Jesus Christ. It's not just the holy spaces. Sometimes it's the ones that we don't even want to be in. Maybe it's your workplace. Maybe you're gritting your teeth and thinking, why do I have to go to this place again? Well, maybe you're in that place to shine the light of Jesus. 
and to share the good news of Jesus. And I'll give you a tip. If you really don't like that workplace, preach the gospel. They'll get rid of you. And you'll get a reward in heaven. Just keep preaching the gospel. Just keep rocking up and preaching the gospel. What are they going to do? Buy you? But Paul understood that his life, this was it. This was it. There is nothing else to life apart from Jesus. There is nothing else to this life apart from preaching the gospel. We see that in in the book of Acts in uh, chapter 20, verse 22. This is what Paul is saying. He says, And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit tells me in the city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. How we see our lives actually determines how we spend our lives. Paul saw that his life was to be poured out in service to God, in ministry to people, in preaching the gospel. And that meant that wherever he went, he was on mission. Wherever he went, even to the places, he he knew. He said, I know what awaits me, prison and suffering, but I have to do this. I'm compelled to do this. If we see that our lives is just, just for us, just about getting what we want, doing what we want, then guess what? We'll spend our lives in that way. Spend our lives doing what we want, getting what we want. But there's got to be a reframing of our mind to understand that that we are actually called by His name to do His work wherever we go. You might find yourself in a situation where you're wondering, why am I here? What What am I doing in this place? I've heard of people who have been in hospital and they've had, um, you know, the doctors have kept them in longer than they should have. And they were getting upset about why am I in hospital? I should have been released a couple of days ago. And then an opportunity comes to share the gospel with someone and realize, oh, maybe that's why I'm here. And if that opportunity was the reason that I'm here, then maybe it was worth it. And so what one person sees as a prison, another can see as a platform. Lord, give us opportunities. Would you be as bold to pray that to the Lord? Lord, give me opportunities to share the gospel and to communicate it as clearly as I should. In my workplace, in my family, in all the places that I I go. Lord, would you give me opportunity? Would you give me opportunity? And don't write those opportunities off before they come. You know what I mean by that? We, we kind of think, oh, well, that person, no way they want to hear this or no way they'd respond to this, no way. But uh, don't write it off without actually stepping out. If you pray for opportunities, guess what? God will bring opportunities. And opportunities don't always look like super holy conversations with super holy people. Sometimes they're messy conversations with messy people that you might want to avoid, but God's saying, you wanted an opportunity? Well, here is an opportunity. And so one person's prison can become another person's platform. And so Paul is in, in, the, in this lockup, 
And he's saying, give us opportunities. Here's the next thing I want to draw out of this. One, man, one person's chains leads to another person's freedom. One person's chains leads to another person's freedom. Let's read verse 7. Tychicus will give a full report about how I am getting along. He is a beloved brother and faithful helper who serves me in the Lord's work. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we are doing and to encourage you. So he's, he's actually going to be delivering the letter back to the Colossian church. And part of that is to give an update on how Paul and, and the co-workers are doing at that point in time. And then he says, I am also sending Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, one of your own people. He and Tychicus will tell you everything that is happening here. So this is where, if we skim read, we may miss the significance of what has actually taken place. Onesimus, Paul says, is one of your own people. He was a Colossian. He was from Colossae. Onesimus, Paul says, is a faithful and beloved brother, one of your own people. Onesimus was also a fugitive. He was an escaped slave. He had run away from his master. He had, he had escaped and run to Rome, which is where this uh, letter is being written. And somewhere along the line in Rome, potentially in this prison, Paul and Onesimus crossed paths. They developed a relationship and Onesimus becomes one of, uh, like a disciple that Paul is discipling. How do we know this? Because it is connected to the letter Philemon, which is another book that we see in the Bible. A small letter, written at the same time as the letter to the Colossians. Philemon is actually Onesimus's master. He was the one who owned Onesimus. And he was part of a church in, Col in Colossae that they met in his home. It says it in Philemon. Uh, and it, it's probable that when Onesimus left Philemon, he had robbed him or taken something of his stuff and then tried to get away. So this man now that Paul is saying is a faithful brother started off as a runaway slave. He started off as a fugitive, as an escapee, running away from the one who owned him. And somehow, some way, he intersects with Paul. Don't you just love the grace of God? That when you try to run away, God puts people in your path that are going to point you back to him. You, you try and run away from the calling on your life and God tends to put people like Paul in prison to bump into you and bump you back in the right direction. Don't you just love the grace of God in this? And so let's, let's jump into that little part of that letter. Um, because in verse 10 of Philemon, it says, I appeal to you to show kindness to my child Onesimus. Listen to this. I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Onesimus hasn't been of much use to you in the past, but now he is very useful to both of us. I am sending him back to you, and he comes with my own heart. So here's one name in that list that at one point in his life had run away 
and was now hiding in Rome. Intersects with Paul and Paul says, in this relationship now I have become his father in the faith. So he has brought him back to the Lord. He has discipled him in the Lord. And now he is sending him back. And get what he's doing. He's sending him back with the letter to Philemon and to the Colossians. This is a guy who is now, uh, based upon the Roman legal system, his punishment should be either death or branding. It would be if he returns back, if they found him and took him back, then he would actually be put to death. And Paul is saying, I'm writing this letter to, the, to your family, the church back home, and I actually want you to go back and be the one that delivers it. That's pretty radical. That is grace. What he's saying is that Onesimus should receive death. And yet, I'm going to ask on his behalf that you give him grace, that you restore this man. And, and then it goes on because he says he's not just sending him back, but in verse 16 it says, He is no longer like a slave to you. He is more than a slave, for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, which is where I think it comes from, the understanding that he took from him, charge it to me. I will pay the debt. This is the gospel, man. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. I love this bit. And I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. I'm not going to mention that bit. But I'm not going to remind you of what you owe me, but if you could just do this. So he says, not just now has um, Onesimus been restored, but now he is not just a slave anymore. He's a faithful brother in the Lord. Something has happened in this man's life. And now I'm sending you back to him. Onesimus, actually the meaning of, of the name is useful, which is a play on what Paul said there. Because he said, he, ne- he wasn't useful to you before, but now he is useful to you and to me. And in fact, it would be better if I kept him here because he's helping me so much. But I want to send him back to you. You know, that, those, those people that, that we bump into. Those people that just kind of cross our paths. What if you could send them back to their family restored? What if you could play a part in sending them back to their home restored? redeemed, free. See, Paul's chains led to Onesimus' freedom because now he's no longer seen as a slave. And, and, and hold on to this because now if you backtrack a bit in Colossians, you'll get a little bit of an understanding that Paul is preempting this very thing. When he talks about masters and slaves and when he says that in Christ there is now no slave or free in Christ all that matters is Christ he's actually preempting this and so we see that he's laying a foundation for what will be a visible demonstration of the gospel to the Colossians I'm going to send back a man that has stolen from you that has run away from you and I'm going to ask that you receive him with grace that you restore him 
And you no longer see him just as a slave. Now you see him as a brother. Can you imagine how that would be? Someone comes into your home, you've got a family member, they rip you off, they take all your stuff, they, 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 they empty your bank accounts, and they run away. And then they encounter a, a Christian somewhere else, and that Christian disciples them, and their lives start to change. And then that Christian contacts you, and you're like, no, I don't want anything to do with that person. They've written me, I've written them off. They've broken trust, all of that stuff. And they said, no, I want you to bring them back. And not just to come back, but to see them as your equal. How would you respond? You know, we have to give people space for change. And to understand that who someone is today isn't necessarily who they were five or ten years ago. God can work in people's hearts. And the man that, that first bumped into Paul, Onesimus, wherever he was, whatever the, the run he was on, he goes back a changed man. What a testimony of how God can redeem even a runner, a runaway. And maybe you've been a runaway. Maybe you've run away from God, run away from church, run away from family. I believe God wants to restore you. He wants to bring you back into the family and show grace to you. And so there's this radical outplaying of the gospel that's taking place here in this one man, Onesimus. And so he will take this back. Paul says, I'll pay any debt. You see that as the gospel, right? He's a slave and he's set free. And he says, I'll take the debt. I'll pay whatever he owes. That's what Jesus did for us. We sung it before. I was a slave to sin. And he took the penalty. And then he pays the price on our behalf and sends us back free. What glorious good news. What glorious good news. And so he sends him back. We don't see this in the scripture, but we look at early church fathers and some of the uh, commentators of, of what they said took place after this. And we see a letter from Ignatius to the uh, Ephesian church where he speaks of the bishop of Ephesus, Onesimus. And historian scholars would say that there is a high possibility that that Onesimus was the very person that we're talking about. If that is true, then he has gone from a runaway slave to a bishop. God can do anything with anyone. There is no one too far. There is no one that has run too far. And so as we pray for opportunities, God, I pray for opportunities to share this. Guess what? Onesimus might run into your path. You might bump into him in the street, in the shopping center. You might bump into him in your workplace. And maybe God has put you there for this purpose, to help them be restored and sent back to the family. Outrageous grace at work. This is the last thing I want to bring out of this. One person's restoration becomes another person's refreshment. 
Verse 10, it says, Aristarchus, who is in prison with me, sends you his greetings, and so does Mark, Barnabas' cousin. As you were instructed before, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. Jesus, the one we call Justice, also sends his greetings. These are the only Jewish believers among my co-workers. They are working with me here for the kingdom of God. And what a comfort, take note of that, what a comfort they have been. There is another name in this list that I want to draw attention to this morning. It is the name Mark. Paul says here that Mark is Barnabas' cousin. And if we look at the history of Mark, it's not just another name. Mark was actually a disciple in uh, Jerusalem and was brought with Paul and Barnabas on a mission trip as they had gone back from Antioch back to Jerusalem and they were heading back to Antioch, they had decided we want to bring a couple of people with us to help minister in the church. And so one of those people that they took from Jerusalem to Antioch was this man Mark or John Mark. And uh, we see that he was Barnabas's cousin, so there's probably a family relation there, a close tie there with Mark and Barnabas. Maybe that's why they want to bring him along. But anyway, as they go on this trip, we see that in Acts chapter 13, uh, verse 13, Paul and his companions left Paphos by ship for Pamphylia, landing at the port of Perga. There, John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. But Paul and Barnabas traveled inland to Antioch of Pisidia. So what's taking place is that they've come back and now they've gone to Jerusalem. They've said, we're going to take John Mark with us on this trip. They get like the first stop. If you look at the actual trip, they don't get too far. And they're confronted by someone um, who is a, 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 like a, uh, with witchcraft, like a demonic um, experience. And then they are having to travel. And it says that Mark, at that point, left them and went back to Jerusalem. They went on. Now, we don't know the exact details, but we can see later that in Acts 15, uh, this verse 37, it says, Barnabas, they were wanting to go back, so they come back again, and now they're wanting to go and do another trip. And it says, Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark, so Paul and Barnabas are planning another trip. This is later. Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and not continued with them in the work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and he left. The believers entrusted them to the Lord's gracious care. So they've come back and now they're like, okay, we're going to go on another trip. And Barnabas is like, well, let's take Mark, cousin. Let's give him another chance. And it says that Paul disagreed because John Mark had deserted them. So that gives us insight into what he's actually thinking or feeling. He has felt that he's quit the trip. He's left them in the lurch. He's abandoned them as they've gone on. And so he's like, no, nah, we're not taking him. And there must have been a conversation that was so sharp, it says a disagreement that they ended up saying, no, nah, we're not going together. We're going to go our separate ways. That is how much this had affected Paul. He's like, we can't take him. If we're going again, he's just going to run away again. He's going to desert us again. Okay, so that's where it was at one point in time. 
But then we just read that Mark is in prison with him in this place in Rome. And it says of him, they're the only Jewish believers among my co-workers working with me for the kingdom of God. And what a comfort they have been. This is the same person that one day Paul looked upon as being a deserter, someone that ran away, someone I can't trust, someone that abandoned me, is now become a comfort for him. So something within the 12 or so years between these, these things that have taken place has changed. And now Paul sees Mark not as someone that would abandon him, but someone that brings him great comfort. Someone that is with him in this, in this mission. Again, another name in the list that we could just skim over and not see the significance of what has taken place in the journey. Something somewhere brought Mark back to a place where he would serve God and would give his life for the gospel. He may not have been ready at that point in time. There was a disagreement. They weren't going to go the same way. But something somewhere changed. And now they're in, he is one of his co-workers and a comfort for him. You know, you might have walked away. Maybe you dropped the ball. Maybe you let go of what you felt God called you to. Can I say that God is in the business of restoring people? That he is in the business of restoring people's hope, restoring their calling, restoring them back into who he created them to be. God is in the business. And so someone somewhere had the same experience that Paul had with Onesimus with Mark. And gave him a shot, gave him a chance, brought him in close, discipled him, helped him to see this. And it doesn't stop there because later on you see that when Paul is imprisoned again that, and he knows that he's coming toward the end of his life, he actually writes to Timothy and he says to Timothy, when you come, in verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse 11, he's only got Luke with him and he says, bring Mark when you come for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. What a change. What a change in attitude, what a change in relationship, what a change from, no, 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 we can't do ministry with this guy anymore, like he's, he's gone, he's abandoned us, deserted us, to now saying, when you come, please bring Mark with you, because he's going to refresh me. You know that people who have been restored can be such a refreshment to other people. That they can just come and you know, bring that fresh love So where was Mark? Where was Mark all this time? First Peter, chapter five, verse thirteen. Peter also writing from Rome says, "Your sister church here in Babylon sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark." Just as Paul had said, my, Onesimus has become my, my son in the faith. Mark's yeah, Peter says. Mark has become my son in the faith. So somewhere along the line, Peter and Mark connected, and Mark started to disciple. And you wonder, you know, God's not random. 
if you want to bump into any other disciple, when you've deserted the team, you know who you should bump into? Peter. Because he's pretty good at deserting and then being restored. He knows a thing or two about denying Jesus and then being restored. And so God might be putting people in our paths that need to hear the story of how we have been restored, how we have been redeemed, how our lives have been changed so that they can have hope that, hang on a second, one day maybe I can be in that place again. What a wonderful God we serve who connects all the dots, fills all the gaps and brings us to the points where we actually need to be. And there is hope in this message. There is hope. And maybe you've got family members who kind of like Mark, they've yeeted They've walked away. It's all too hard. Or maybe like Onesimus who wanted to go and get their freedom, have chased the things of the world to try and find and fulfill themselves. Pray for opportunities. Pray for Christians to come along their path. Pray for God's Spirit to wake them up. Pray for other people to have moments that connect with them. Pray that God would place people in their lives. And guess what? You may be an answer to that prayer for someone else. There could be a mother who is praying for their child that has walked away. And you may be part of the the answer to that prayer. God is connecting you with that person to help see them restored and redeemed and to go back as a whole person. No longer as a slave, but now as a valuable brother. No longer as one that was below, but now as an equal in the ministry. Perhaps you are. In the conversations you have, speaking to someone like Onesimus or someone like Mark, who is now got no idea what life is about and I t- I'll say that you know when people wander away from Jesus although they feel like at the beginning I'm finding life just watch soon, soon enough it becomes what there is nothing here and so we pray God surround them with people that will show them light with people that will love them that will be true to them share the word with them and pray for them. And so these guys are now with Paul as he's writing to the Colossian church to encourage them in the gospel. Written off, run away, now useful, now refreshing, now a comfort to me. You never know. You absolutely never know. You never know when you catch up with a guy at Jamaica Blue many, many years ago with his massive mullet. You should have got a photo. What God can do with someone that just needs, to, to, needs someone to walk alongside him to restore and to redeem and then to send them back. 
into everything they have. You absolutely never know. And don't burden yourself with the worry of what if things don't change and what if people don't change. It's not your burden to carry. You just obey Him, listen to Him, and watch what He can do. Can we pray together? Father, we thank you for your word. Again, Lord, we, we, um, we, we didn't come to hear opinions or ideas. We came to see what is in your scripture. Because in it, there are things of life. And Lord, we thank you for the names that we read, potentially that we've skimmed over in the past. But names of people, real people who followed you, who did what they were called to do. And while some of them dropped the ball, some of them messed up, some of them deserted, some of them ran. Lord, you knew where to find them and you knew how to find them and you knew how to transform them. And we hold the same hope today for the runaway for the prodigal, even for the backslider, for the one who has turned their back. We hold the same hope this morning that if people will turn and see you, that you can do incredible things in their lives. That you can take one who was seen as useless and make them incredibly useful. Where you can take one that caused pain of being abandoned and use him then to be a comfort in someone else's prison. We thank you, Lord, that none of this could be orchestrated by man. But to you, all of these things are possible. And so we bless you and we thank you and we look not to man. We don't even look to our own wisdom and ability. We throw ourselves upon your grace. And we ask, Lord, that you would do what only you can do. And that we would see lives transformed even through a cup of coffee. I pray for those of us in this room that, that desire this prayer, that we would have opportunities. And that our eyes would be open to the opportunities. Opportunities to share the gospel. Opportunities to walk alongside. Opportunities to sit with someone in their mess. And help them see the way out. Opportunities to preach and proclaim the good news. Opportunities to share truth. Opportunities to love opportunities to see you glorified in our stories. God, we pray also for those of us that have family members. I want to hold this before you this morning. For those of us that have family members that have gone astray, that have wandered off, that are maybe not living where they could be or where you would want them to be. Father, we pray that you would surround them with men and women of faith and that in every corner that they run to, Lord, that they would find someone that would graciously meet them and would help to point them 
in the right direction. I thank you, God, for those that we come in contact with that are runaways. Father, would you help us to point them back to you? We pray for anyone in the room today that feels like they have blown it. Feels like they've given up. Kind of got that sense that you know what you were called to, but you're kind of uh, a bit half-hearted. And now you feel that God has passed you by. I pray for anyone in the room, God, that finds themselves in that situation. Father, we pray that you would draw them today by your spirit to your heart and that they would find restoration. Restoration for their soul. Restoration for their call. Restoration for ministry. Restoration in family. God, we thank you for what you're wanting to do in through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.